Welcome to the LaRouge Rugby Podcast with your hosts, Derek Brissett, Stu Hardy, and Dan Murphy. A little spring in their step at the moment, Seattle. Under immense defensive pressure. Hitting it up one at a time on the outside now, using some space. Oh, straight through three defenders. What a try to that young man, George Barton. Easy as you like. He had no right to score that Brian Hightower, but he's done it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the LaRouge Rugby Podcast. My name is Dan Murphy. With me always is Derek Brissett and Stu Hardy. Uh, gentlemen, we uh, have a very exciting guest, a returning guest, our first returning guest, uh, Mr. Aaron Castro of Earful of Dirt and MLR Kickoff and a whole bunch of many other exciting things. Aaron, uh, we're really excited to sit down and talk with you with a little bit of the MLR landscape and how things are growing. Oh, it's not a um, not my my punchline just doesn't work because it's more somber. But uh, is this um, happy? And it doesn't. I don't know how you say happy Remembrance Sunday, but um, with uh, November 11th, which is actually also my birthday, so that's kind of interesting. Um, I also served in the army, so it gets really crazy. Um, but it's a Remembrance Sunday, uh, and uh, the Welsh Rugby Union put out a really cool thing about a dude that won the Victoria Cross in World War II. So if yeah. I tweeted it out, so if you haven't seen that, it was uh, narrated by a bunch of players uh, on the current Welsh team. So that was really cool. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a Sunday in uh, America, uh, and we're about to uh, you know spend the week looking back um, at mostly. Uh, I know it's called Veterans Day, and you know we have. Memorial Day, which is more of like we look back at the fallen, but if it's just the way things are, you look back at the fallen and like uh, like the Welsh Rugby Union, like the English Rugby Union, the USA, not the the USA Rugby Eagles themselves and not necessarily the USA Rugby Union at first, because the union wasn't formed until the 70s, um, has a very strong military tradition. Um, if you, the, the beginnings of you know, the Eagles were the inter-allied games uh, in 1919, and then obviously the Antwerp games in 1920, and then um, the Paris Olympics in 1924, where, you know, the two modern, I guess, 15s gold medals were awarded. And uh, yeah, so, uh, but on to just normal stuff. Uh, I do appreciate what you guys are doing up north, to be honest. Um, uh, I, I run all the time, so... I, I listen to podcasts when I run, so you at least get onto one of my runs every week. Um, so, <laughs> and this is where, like, I, I text Derek because Derek has done some, um, I wouldn't, I, I guess, free work for me. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's call it that. Yeah, I guess free work for me. We, we, we hang out sometimes to talk <laughs> we, about rugby. We hang out sometimes to talk about rugby, and. Uh, so, um, and then I get angry. No, I don't really get angry. I just say, why did Dan say this? And then, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so you're on now. Like the floor <laughs> is yours. First question. Welcome to the podcast. 
Dan, all of Dan's opinions go. Uh, well, I, on everything. I thought the, I mean, the first thing was, uh, I guess the first big one was the COVID one. And it was just like, um, we just, we just got to play. And I think one thing that the, if you've, if you whether it's grassroots or, or professional sports, you just, um, you need to, I think rugby is in, um, for the States in the U S and for the provinces in Canada that just didn't allow rugby back. I think, what was it? Manitoba could have just played rugby. They didn't need to stop because they had like no, um, almost no cases. Right. And yeah, there's, there's, I, a, there's a couple spots like uh, Newfoundland got a little bit of a season. Yeah, they got a little bit of season, but yeah, I wouldn't, the, the I wouldn't, I wouldn't won put Manitoba. Manitoba's kind of a tire fire right now. Their uh, their their cases are just absolutely out of but, the. But I, but I, one of the things that I because you've seen this, um, the the RFU has completely canceled um, the league system for the year. Yeah. And so I think the only the, the rugby that will be played because it doesn't ca- it doesn't cancel rugby in general, but it just cancels the league system. So for amateur rugby and one of the things we're seeing in the U.S. is the various states that have allowed scholastic sport to occur. We're we're seeing rugby return. And and the reason why I, I said I sort of hit out at that opinion is because we're such a small sport. And even if you go back to the UK compared to soccer or football or whatever you want to call it, we're such a small sport, even though the, U, the, the UK as a, a group of unions has the most rugby players of any, um, cause I, of any IOC country. Like the number of rugby players in the UK with, with Wales and Northern Ireland and Scotland and England is more than, you know, what is it? Um, New Zealand, South Africa and and Australia combined, right? And way more than, I think, you know, all of Rugby America's North. And because of that, because of just shutting things down where we're struggling, is I think the game, at least here in the United States, is going to suffer a retraction, specifically because I think there are people, maybe I don't know about Canada because I haven't been following too much about what you guys do. I think what you guys do is probably the most news I get. And then I chat to Brian Ray some, um, <laughs> you know, every couple of days. But like Brian all, knows a lot more than we do. So there's, there's, um, but there are some states where there are some coaches out there that I read from that just don't want to to do anything, even though, and the, my beef with that is a practical one. If every other sport is playing tackle football, soccer, basketball, why is rugby not playing? Yeah. Because we're a niche sport or a niche within a niche really. Yeah. I think I can, and again, I can only speak to what I know and I, and what I can say about Ontario is there have been a lot of, clubs training but i think it's a double-edged sword about that getting out into the actually playing part because the fines that that clubs could face from the ontario government are pretty well, that's that, that's a little bit different right yeah i i'm i'm saying mostly in the line of if your state or your province right because we have provinces in canada um says that grassroots can grassroots can play right then rugby should be right there with whoever else is. Maybe you don't have to be the first one. You don't have to be the first one, but 
but do not be the last because people will not come back to the sport because I've been around rugby as a player and now sort of as a media person or person that um, spends a lot of my own money to cover the Eagles. <laughs> and uh, that, um, you know, it's just, we're so small that we are at risk. Yeah, that, we need momentum is really what we need. Um, and so, COVID's killing it. And this is, I mean, we're actually going to get to talk about maybe not momentum, but um, something that can generate momentum um, on this show. Um, thank you for hosting this and, you know, just talking about it. Cause we're seeing a lot of cool things because you, you talked about clubs training, not only are clubs training, but the arrows have had guys training. The arrows yeah, have had the, been the doing a, academy sessions with their, um, their U twenties. And I think, um, we'll talk a little bit about what Mark Winokur and Corey Hector have been able to do with integrating a full integration of the Ontario blues, uh, um, junior blues into, you know, the arrows under 18s Academy. And, and they, you know, probably the, the administrator that should be the model of, you know, what other MLR teams should do is look at what Mark did for 15 years with the blues and then, extrapolate that onto MLR, you know? Well, before we get into individual teams, um, we kind of want to just get an overview uh, first. And what I want want to hear from you, uh, Aaron, is we want an overview of kind of what the Academy slash Grassroot Incentives Program really is. Because unfortunately, like a lot of things happen in the podcasting world, big news seems to always drop right after you <laughs> record. You know, uh, a popular a popular Canadian podcast, the Steve Dangle podcast, which is mostly about the Toronto Maple Leafs and, and hockey as a whole, they always gripe about that. You know, the latest signing, biggest injury, league news, especially during COVID, always seem to drop right after they record. And I feel like we kind of hit that point. Um, because MLR announced their grassroots incent, uh, development incentive program, so we kind of can you can you give us kind of an, a, a quick little overview of what this program really can do for the sport in U.S. and Canada? I think um, you know if you look at there have been teams that have been working with youth development and and U8 and age grade teams going down to, I think mainly focusing on U18, but also having some U23 teams. Um, The biggest thing is the game needs money and not just at the professional level, but also at the grassroots level, because if without money, because I mean, rugby is actually a very expensive sport to play. A lot of people try to say, Hey, all you need is boots and a ball. And well, you know, if you look at the, to achieve top level status, you're talking about monies that are great, that are as high as soccer. So, um, you know, as a, like an, as an age rate player. So the reality is, is um, in order to reduce that cost is you need a more players, but you need someone subsidizing that. And you're, so you're going to get that um, in the, this grassroots development program that incentivizes teams to, spend money in order to spend money. Um, and by, by that, I mean, is um, you have three different initiatives that are under the program, which uh, are on um, the MLR website that it talks about. You have youth program. Um, so basically um, either depending on what area you are, maybe starting your own league. Uh, but I think most of the areas that MLR teams are in, you don't really need to start your own league. Um, but part of that, 
it talks about in the grassroots initiative is um, sponsoring and funding um, the local area union. Um, so in a lot of places, you know, the, the union, the, the, the youth rugby unions, because we have, we're separate um, from we're separate from the senior game. U.S. Youth Rugby, which under the reorganized um, USA Rugby, completely runs the youth game, and USA Rugby um, is just sort of there um, in a way to to run the game, to, to govern the game, but not necessarily administer the game because central administration has never really been good for the, for us rugby because of politics in general. Right. And there's also not enough money for central administration. So if you, so we've devolved, but at the same time, we still need money in the game. And so if you are currently in an MLR market, there are 13, um, and, and this is where I've seen the books of rugby Ontario. I don't think you need money. Um, thank, uh, in part because of uh, Mark Winokur being, uh, you know, at the helm of par- par- partially at the helm of rugby Ontario. You guys have had some very smart administrators um, in your provincial unions. I would say we haven't down South, to be honest. Um, and uh, it was when I looked at the books a couple of years ago of Rugby Ontario, I was like, how in the world do they have so much money? You know that, and that's that's just, that's hard work, man. That, that's, it, that was great. They sure weren't confusing Canadian dollars for US dollars and it's a conversion thing. So it's actually- It's not a conversion thing because you still, there was money, there was money there. Whereas I look at the USA Rugby financials and there was negative money. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, All right. No conversion rates on the minus signs. <laughs> if you see a minus sign in any currency, it's bad. That's all you. That's all you need to so, know. So uh, I mean, so the big, the, so the first thing is infusing the youth game with capital, um, sponsoring the local competitions. So you'll have, you know, money being being pushed into youth rugby in in every locale. Um, so that, and then the incentive to to spend that money is also to allow you to spend more money on your senior squad. Um, so there is a, uh, there is a number that exists that is uh, significant um, for every one of these streams in the grassroots initiative. When you compare it to the salary cap, which I know is public in a way that owners have said so on podcasts and in articles, it is $500,000. So there is a, not salary cap forgiveness, but there's a salary cap credit that will be added on top of the current cap. So by investing in grassroots in three different areas, you will get three different clumps of money to add onto your cap. So that gets us to, um, so let's focus. So that the first one is you basically U14 mass participation development is what we're looking at. Um, and you, there are different sort of uh, incentives to get you to the entirety of um, that the the maximum amount of dollars for youth development initiative, and you peak out at 500 players. But if um, so, I think that's achievable. Um, I, I really do um, in in most places. But then um, you have the academy initiative, which really focuses both on uh, 
high school and development academy. And both um, in the academy initiative, you will get uh, additional salary cap space um, for investment in high performance there. And then on the development team, which is a really, <laughs> it's hard to know um, what each team looks at, but I think the focus will be on younger players, um, like a U25. I don't really think that there are going to be many 30-year-olds that get found anymore just because it's so difficult. Um, the There are guys, I'm sure there have been guys hiding in the club game since season one. But uh, at least in the U.S. club game, I don't think there are guys that are willing to move for what it what they will have to yeah. do Exactly. Unless, unless a local club, a local MLR team is calling your name. I don't think that for, for the, the salary you're making as a, as a bench player or, you know, not even on the starting roster lineup, I don't think that that's an attainable goal yet. So, so you, like I said, you have three different streams that will be audited um, and every MLR team will have to. And I think that's part of why guy, Guy Hagen, Guy Hagen. I hope it's Guy because Guy is the French way and I, I don't think he's French, um, but uh, is is part of what he's doing. One of the things I found interesting was the big number for from the ML, from the league side is, and this requires help from the teams. Like the teams will be the ones really doing this. And that was like 10, it was like rookie rugby in 10,000 schools inside of three years. That's a lot of, that's a lot of schools. And if you could get into, I think there might, uh, it's a low number. It's under 500. I think there might be rookie rugby in a hundred schools. I know it's in the Texas curriculum um, that is used in Houston for HISD, but we're probably talking about maybe two or three days in a school year that players, that kids see that ball. Um, yeah, like in, you, you probably play dodgeball more. Yeah, uh, really. I mean, that's, that's the truth. So, but if you could get actual curriculum into 10,000, into a hundred thousand schools, um, not even, I'm not even looking at three years, but just looking at 10 years. Cause I'm going to talk about that when we get to the different academies and just talking to the different academy directors and people involved with design and what they're doing. If 10 years from now you have a hundred thousand school kids playing rookie rugby and there is a world cup here then they these five-year-olds would be like rugby mom let's watch it right well yeah. e- even at that too is i think like if through the, the schools like it would give the chance even to just like i know one of the i guess i don't really want to necessarily call it a barrier but like one of the things you sometimes hear from like new fans or people watching from the first time is that the rules are kind of complicated um for rugby but if you put that in schools you give everyone a chance to or kids a chance to learn the rules the rules in football are complicated the rules in see but that's my point though Aaron. it's like (laughs) the rules the rules in almost every sport are complicated i know like if you like and honestly if you do not believe me to anybody that is listening go and try to explain something as simple as why you can ice the puck when you're killing a penalty to somebody that doesn't understand hockey and come up with a legitimate reason for why you can do it because you probably can't it's other than or it's the grounding rule, rule. I, yeah. like, I was watching I was watching the Arizona Miami game and and yeah. like there was the the grounding penalty I'm like what's that what what is how is that harming the the integrity of the game that mm. if, he, if he grounds it well you need to get outside of the tackle box 
So oh, the can... tackle box! What's the tackle box? Oh, <laughs> What's the tackle Thank box? Jeez, Mike, you know what? You're right, Aaron. That's, that's my point, though. But like, honestly, though, that's my point, though. Is all these sports hockey? No one understands what a tackle box is, but I know it was at 14 years old. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's the whole thing, though. It's like the sports. Like, let's say, like the big, like the big five sports, like that that are in our like, two countries here. It's like we learn the rules to basketball, to hockey, to football, to baseball the soccer as kids and it's like as complicated as they realistically are to somebody that's never played it we understand them like nothing because it's what yeah. we grew up learning and if you give kids a chance to learn the rules of the age like of rugby in elementary school or like when they're younger by the time they're like say even if they don't end up becoming an mor player they just become a fan there are people that have grown up understanding the rules and understand the game by the time they're 20 when they are just yeah. you know cheering on the team of their choice <laughs> And that's the thing as well, especially the younger you are, you're not learning all the complex rules of like, oh, how, um, how do you get a penalty at the scrum and how do uh, is a scrum collapse? You're learning the basics like um, pass the ball backwards or you have to ground the ball to score a try. And um, I can't speak for how it's done in the US, but in the UK, especially it's um, no contact until you're in what's known as secondary school, which will be ages 11 and 12 up. Um, so it, if you're learning it in, um, if you're like 11 and younger, you'll be learning no contact. So you'll just be focusing on passing or maybe even tag rugby, things like that. So you know that when to stop and when to feed the ball backwards. And um, especially with this, when it's no contact, then you can have mixed games. So you can have boys and girls playing and, you know, sometimes you'll mix the rules up and you'll say that, well, it seems that, oh, all the boys want to be playing, but if a girl scores a try, it's three points. And if a guy scores a try, it's one point because there's no conversions or anything mm -hmm. like that. But it, but that encourages um, more people to get involved in playing or it'll or the, another rule will be you have to pass five times before you can score a try. So you can't just have like the quick kid who will grow up to either be a scrum half or a winger, grab it and then run down to the other end of the pitch and score a try. And, you know, and as you get older and you, and it gets into different levels of school, like, so say middle school and then high school in the US, you can then introduce more rules. So it'll be things like, say, you won't do line outs when you're in middle school, but you will do them in high school because, you know, you'll be bigger and stronger by then. And you'll also know whether you're going to be a forward or a back by then as well. So, yeah, I think um, obviously the younger you start learning these, even just the basics, the easier it can be implemented. And hopefully if uh, the US or North America gets a World Cup in uh, the 2030s, then by that time, MLR will have done the groundwork that this won't become like a recurring issue. I would yeah. say the only thing is it's like we have girls playing tackle football here. Um, that uh, if you look at our women's team um, for the Eagles, um, if uh, women's sevens, Kirsty Kirsch was playing tackle football until I think she was 11 years old. And uh, well, she was, uh, if you, she's pretty insane, right? Like she's a great player. Um, Emily Henrik on the, on the women's Eagles. Uh, she's, um, she was the MA Sorensen award winner two, a year ago, not two years ago, but almost long time ago now it's been COVID, you know um but um that girl i think she played um she played tackle football until she was 11 or 12 um and it's not really about weight it's just you know 
you know, people have different times and, you know, that, that um, young woman went to Dartmouth to play varsity rugby. So I think, I think at the, at the younger ages, I would say up to U10, there is almost no reason to, to segregate unless you just have a lot of girls and a lot of boys. Yeah. and I, um, and I yeah. that that's basically how it's run in Ontario is it's it's up until a certain point it's just youth rookie rugby and then then when you get to almost I believe it's the like the grade seven eight which would be 12, 12 13 14 is when the split happens yeah um, um, that's when tackling I believe is introduced so depending yeah. for us depending on the state scholastic football. Um, so school sponsored sports. Um, I grew up in California and they do that here in Arizona. Uh, you play um, all the sports you learn in uh, P, physical education, PE. Um, you learn sort of at uh, elementary school level. And then there is scholastic sports starting in middle school. And for football, we didn't play tackle. We played flag. And guess what? Flag football is actually contact. So don't you know, it's not a non-contact sport, um, but they also, you also have tackle football in sort of the club ranks um, during um, elementary and middle school. And then, but in Texas, they're crazy. So they played tackle football scholastically starting in the seventh grade. So, you know, yeah. Um, so we're going to move on now, but we're going to stick with this a little bit because uh, you know, on this podcast, we've talked about what would be the creative solution that MLR would come up with um, if they were going to continue with both the academy program and with the draft. Because you would be running into a situation where a team would, you know, spend all their money in, in, in you know, you know, working with a player, and, and that player would spend all of their money running through the camps with, with that team, only to then be drafted by a rival. So um, they came with a homegrown player designation. And I would just like you, Aaron, to kind of dive a little bit more into it because it's actually a pretty intuitive idea. So if you listen to Brandon Sparks, uh, which we had him on MLR kickoff the last episode and um, got to talk with, and I think it'll be, I mean, I got to chat with um, Scott Lawrence today, uh, general manager and head coach of rugby ATL. Um, and the, there is a homegrown player designation, but it's more like the MLS, um, on the, like for a, what I would say is a U23 player, because basically the, with the way the draft system works now, it's sort of like baseball. Um, well, it's not sort of like baseball. I would say, um, it only pertains to college and players who come through an academy, um, at 18 and choose not to go to college and is good enough. Um, can be tagged by their team and given the homegrown player designation for the, for a year. And they either, if they don't go to college and they're in that development squad for the seniors, um, the MLR team has the chance to sign them within 12 months of getting that tab. And then if they don't get signed within that 12 months, they can be assignable um, to other uh, teams. Um, so it's U18 players. Um, there is also a homegrown player designation as it pertains to a college age player. But I think for the most part, that is going to, like, I know Derek, you said on the last episode, I think this is going to work like the MLS draft that if the, the player, cause Scott has said, you know, go to college. Um, Brandon Sparks has said, go to college. 
uh, Tom Kinley um, of New England, um, who is a big part of their recruitment analysis and everyone wears multiple hats in MLR. So it's really hard to give them a title. Um, it's a part of guy, rugby guy. A lot of, a lot of the teams we've talked to on MLR kickoff collegiate rugby is a part of their pathway. Um, the reality is, is that, um, developing players through academies isn't just for, um, isn't just for MLR, but it's just to rate is to raise the quality level of rugby in America in general, because if you can get more players to a higher level that then proceed to college or junior college and continue through the development pipeline on the senior side, but if you, but more so with college, just university rugby, then that increases the, the quantity of high level players that can be drafted, which is a good thing. But at the same time, if the player um, still wants to basically go home um, and not get drafted, they have that ability. Like the, the, the team that they went through the academy with, um, they, they chat and they get tabbed and they get a contract and they don't have to go through the draft. And then I think where it gets really different is – you don't really have senior development sides coming through grassroots in, in like any sport really in the U S but there is an MLR right now. So basically you're going to have a lot of undrafted players, um, younger club players that put their hands up through combines and whatnot and go through, um, you know, senior development sides. You've seen this with, uh, new Orleans, uh, Gold Academy just recently with um, Rugby ATL, Rugby ATL's Pathway 404, and uh, you know the Warrior Selects for uh, for Utah. In that guys have put their hands up and said, and you get a homegrown player designation there too, because if you invest a lot, especially on the senior side, right? Um, in a player, you, you're probably wanting them to just slide right over into the next season of MLR and play for you, right? right. Um, and if you look at Pathway 404, there's a bunch of players that have been signed by other teams. And at the end of the day, and I think um, ATL's opinion on this is ambivalent, is like we only have so many slots on our senior team. And if another team wants that player, then we did our job. You know, um, I, I know it's, it's like as far as, at the end of the day, I, I, I know as far as con- like compensation for, you know, that development of a player is an int- is a, is up for debate um, to, to an extent, but there's good. As far as I can tell, there's no trading of cap space. Um, there may be some, some favors, done um to affect those those changes because um there was a kid sydney shoop that has played scrum half for pathway 404 that if i was scott lawrence i mean i would not be letting leave and he's going to play for austin so i mean like good for him and there's a few other players that are going to play for dallas as well 
Well, that, that was that was one of the things too. I also kind of wanted to ask you. So, on the for the academy development incentive, um, MLR kind of highlighted a couple of rules that, as you said, the teams are going to have to help to keep track of. Yeah. And so, for the high school and for the developmental team, in order to qualify for that bonus of cap space or cap help or however we we want to word it, um, it said that you have to have like a minimum of four games versus other MLR academies or other like level competition yeah. is the wording in like, say versus other MLR academies. Is that kind of like, I guess, I, I guess a little bit of an incentive to, as you kind of said with um, what Scott Lawrence said, and I think Brandon Sparks even mentioned it on the MLR kickoff was like, you want to, if, if guys are good enough, if you develop a guy and he's good enough to go play, but maybe doesn't necessarily have a spot on your team, you like help them get to a different MLR program and then you've done your job. Is that like, is encouraging teams to obviously play against each other. Is that like an extension of that to kind of get the MLR teams to sort of help each other out along the development? Path? Um, there, there's that. Cause I mean, then you're exchanging film because all of these guys are, are, are filming players. And one of the things that if you talk to like culture, 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 culture is a huge thing in, in major league rugby, but and culture is a huge thing in rugby, but culture is a huge thing in every sport. So that's one of the things that sort of irks me when people think the rugby culture is, is special. It is special but not for the reason that you think it is that you think it is um, because like football culture, especially, you know, like I, I play football for a very long time and to say there's not brotherhood and just blah, blah, you, know, you get my point, but yeah. rugby, the reality is, is um, we are a single entity um, and we need to grow the pie itself bigger. Like that's it. And one of the things I think about like MLR like sides is more about quality Um, because if at the youth level and at the senior level, if like four, if the four games you play, the four games you play, you end up being really good, right? Like the team is, and you just clobber um, whoever you play by a hundred to zero. That's not qual. That's that's not good tape to evaluate players on. So it's really, no. I, I think it's it's, in, it's incentivizing quality of match time because one of the things that I think we struggle with in club rugby is getting um, every player quality match time, like period. Because I, I think we I struggle with that as a player not getting time because of the way things were ran, and then player teams that had actual coaches and not just a player coach we're way better at getting all of the players that join the club time. So what this is, this is just about giving players high quality match time. And I, it's going to be pretty easy on in a normal year to get four games because all of these MLR teams are going to send their teams to what we call regional cup tournaments, which is sort of where the, the U18, the U16 and U U18 pathway exists. Those aren't going away as far as the age grade identification. Um, so you've seen this um, with not rugby HCS, but with Houston, they had um, the Houston U18s went to regional cup tournament, the New Orleans gold um, U18s went to regional cup tournament. I think New England um, had a team in a regional cup tournament as well. So they're just adding more more chances 
to the pie for young players to play at a higher level, I think. And if you play at that level and you're not just playing a random club, then the experience of the, of the youth player is, is important. Cause at the end, and you go also with the, the senior development time development player, if maybe that player doesn't grow enough to like, or you identify that he's not going to be MLR ready ever, but if he has a good experience and he does play, then he's going to be a fan. Well, yeah. Well, I think that goes back to even like getting kids involved in it. Like I said, it's like if, like, I mean, I am nowhere near good enough to play in the MLR, um, but I played, started playing rugby in high school and fell in love with it that way and love watching the game. And now I'm a huge fan. Cole of Keith, Major League you play with Cole Keith. I did not play with Cole Keith. I went to grad school with a dude that played hockey with Cole Keith. Oh, well, there you go. So, I mean, yeah, Canada's a small country, man. We all know everybody. Um, his, last name, his last name was Murphy, though. So maybe maybe Dan's a... Oh, I, my best man played on Queens with Kainoa Lloyd and Pat Lynott. I don't know about Lucas Rumble. I think Rumble graduated the year before Eli went there. So that's, 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 my, that's the, my pro rugby connection. Um, I, got, I I have a question for you, uh, Aaron. Okay. It has to do with. Sorry for being verbose, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we have noticed already that some of the academy teams in 2020 have played each other, and some of them recently with um, Pathway 404 and the Utah Selects playing each other. My question to you is: with the border situation now, ignoring the the flying. Uh, piece of it uh does the arrows academy stand to lose where their american uh counterparts are able to play against each other and actually play meaningful games and not just have to train so you know like these teams are these teams are getting you know real-time game playing experience while the arrows are only able to practice and run drills and run combines so do you think that the arrows are at a disadvantage currently with their their situation their playing situation it depends um the arrows that have the the the, all of the players that are in canada right now were training pretty early on um with they weren't playing games obviously but guys are getting fit and passing the ball around whereas there are some teams that have nobody in town like they're they're doing nothing so I, i with, I mean, Chris Silverth Warren and your guys' coaching staff, I don't think you'll be um, that far behind. Um, now, when I look at um, these development squads and how they they're different, um, if you look at Rugby ATL, I would say they're they're still developing a lot of players, but you had your starting fly half, Kirk Coleman playing fly half on most of those games. You have a lot of players that will see a lot of time, um, saw a lot of time on Pathway 404. And that's not because Pathway 404 in a normal year probably looks different. It probably does not look as senior squad heavy. And then I would say New Orleans Gold Academy had a lot of first team players on it um, as well, but not nearly as many. And then Utah being the, the Warriors selects being the team that is um, 
draft picks, invites, and local locally identified players. Like a real development team. Um, so, and that's why they're getting, that's why they got torn apart by rugby ATL. Like the, I mean, that's just the reality of it. Um, but different teams are doing different things. That's, or that is, the point is to prepare your team in the environment. And here's the thing, and Canada is different but every, every state in the U S has a pro team exemption. So if you're wondering, if you're wondering why other teams aren't doing certain things, that's, I don't have the answers. Um, but I've, I've dug in on this now, now does, can you play in every state? That's a different answer. The answer is, you can't play in every state. So if New York and New England and DC were ready to field their development squad, their senior development squads right now, they would have to go on the road. So this is just putting there. So there are some variables here, Um, but there are only three teams of of 13 that have fielded development squads for fixtures. So I don't think the arrows will be that far behind compared to the league. And we've seen that the arrows weren't behind at all in the first two, in their first two seasons in MLR. And this is why I like talking to you, Aaron, because like you take my anxiety and you just shove it down a little bit. Take it away. <laughs> <laughs> That's obviously a kind of a question related to COVID and stuff, but obviously this academy's program and the incentive is obviously going to carry on well into the future. Hopefully, when COVID is well within the rearview mirror for every everybody around the world, um, everyone spit on its grave. Well, it's yeah, wear a mask. You stone. Can't do that. <laughs> um, Flamethrowers. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Something we get rid of it. It makes. Yeah. Uh, anyways. How is there going to be any, say, additional rules added onto this? Like, are, is there going to be for the homegrown player designation? Is there going to be like you can only have X amount of players or is it going to be like encouraging, you know, just to constantly be developing these guys and not have a cap on it? Is there going to be a cap on, say, how much extra? I know you kind of seemed like you didn't really necessarily want to say what the number was earlier. So I'm not going to ask you to say how much money you can actually save. But it's like, so, is there going to be a cap on that as well? There is a cap. Well, right now there's a it's a each um, if I do the math, each different incentive is a percentage of the current salary cap. And the combined number is a significant percentage or what would be considered a significant percentage of the current salary cap. Like it's nothing to sneeze at. And guess what? With workman's comp, it makes it way more expensive. Um, because if you look at salary cap um, and then you look at workman's comp insurance, um, your salary load is more than the 500,000 that uh, is rumored slash confirmed by several owners. Um, <laughs> it's 500 grand. Everyone knows that that's yeah. the salary cap. And like the, the number you're going to get if you hit every wicket is, is considerable. Um, and then you have to spend the workman's comp insurance money for that. 
as well. Yeah. You gotta spend a little bit of money to make the extra money. So that is, is it, but I guess the first part of that question too was like, is there going to be a cap on how many homegrown players you can have? Or is the league going to limit that and say, maybe you have to make a tough decision and one guy that you may really want to keep ends up having to go to the draft or something? Well, I, I think it's all based on, especially the, the college players. I think it's all based on, um, and not really the high school players that you tag with the homegrown player instead of uh, the homegrown player card or the senior players. It's the, the college players. It's going to be really about has that player changed over to like, has that player changed over the three to four years they've been in college? What do they want to do? Do they want to go home or do they want to explore their options? And if and you see this in the MLS draft. You see players who don't want to um, take the academy exemption and return to their home team and still get drafted by the, the team whose academy they came through. So just because a player um, doesn't, I mean, return back doesn't mean you can't get them. Right. right. But I, th- I think it's more about it. I think because of the way that the MLS one works and I think the way it practically will work in the MLR. I don't really know. It's the first time we've done this. So I don't really know um, how I don't think anyone knows how it's going to work. Right. But I think it's all based. It's going to be really based on general manager, coaching staff and that individual player and what is really the best situation for the team and the player. If the player is looking like the prospective number one draft pick, right? You're going to, the team is going to want to keep him unless they have like, you know, three fly house. Right. That they like. So then they may let the player go and, you know, test and, and go into the draft. So I think it's it's not it's it gives the uh, it gives the teams the incentive to continue developing collegiate players through U23 academies and it also gives players a choice really I mean because it says if they if and what happens if a coaching staff changes in season you know um is that if what if that player doesn't want to play for the next coach that is hired Cause like um, I, I've talked to a bunch of people. It's like, it's interesting how much player choice is in a centralized league. Like there, there's a lot of player choice here. Is, is that, is that largely because like the contract is with the league as opposed to a team. And then like, they kind of get a little bit more say with that. I just think practically, I just think from a practical perspective, you know, because players aren't getting paid a whole lot, um, they can choose to do something else. So that's why, that's why where, or, and that's why you have massive trades have occurred this year. You know, sometimes even though you're, you're, you're sunk into a multi-year contract, you can go somewhere else. Um, and yeah. So it's like, Alvin, based on what you're saying, that is like some of the trades that have happened this off season have been to kind of, I guess maybe facilitate a player kind of wanting to move somewhere, yeah. maybe for like yeah. a different personal reason and things like yep. that. Yep. Yep. I mean, I, 
I mean, there have been multiple tra- multiple players traded to different teams. So it's this isn't to point out everyone. It's just like situations change. And sometimes, you know, although you have that homegrown player designation for the U23 players that are in college that would likely enter the draft, the question for the, the general manager and that organization is to, if you still really like that player and that player – but if the player doesn't want to play for you, do you really want him coming back? Probably not. So, I mean, that's, 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 I, I so I really wanted to emphasize that I think it's going to work like the MLS. Yeah. Um, and that, which is actually a really good system because it has increased the quality of um, college soccer on the men's side while also providing a pathway to the politics of the world, you know, for the guy, oh, we don't have him in, in American rugby, but for the four nets of the world, like if we had one of those guys, I mean, well, we, we've even had him in American rugby so far. Um, Mika L.A. Cruze, instead of going to college, he was a under, he was a U18 high school American and he decided to go to the Glendale Academy and started, I think, four games that first season. So, like, there, there is a pathway for players who don't want to go to college and are good enough. We even, we even had uh, the Arrows had Avery Oideman playing as a 19-year-old and then yeah. he went to school, like, after yeah. playing yeah. half a season of... Yeah, and then... And he, and he went to school in Cardiff, yeah. which is Cardiff. Welsh rugby... Mecca, uh, if, Cardiff, if you play for the Blues, Cardiff maybe not from the Valleys. Like, so he went for went to he's at Cardiff Met, right? Which is yeah. one of the top teams yeah. and top yeah. clubs yeah. in in box super rugby. Great, yeah, great competition. Yeah. To be honest, yeah, um, and hopefully he comes back. There's uh, a little <laughs> Toronto Arrows blue again, but no, maybe on to bigger things and stuff as well. Um, what? So obviously, it's beneficial for all. MLR clubs to start these academies. I'm assuming that's part of the reason why the incentives are so big. I, I can assume, I don't know, but I can assume with some teams having had academies and investing in grassroots since day one, and some teams having invested zero dollars in grassroots since day one, that they create that the, the competition committee and the owners that are throwing money at grassroots were like, we know that we need grassroots program in yeah. every city. So what can we incentivize our ownership groups to do that? Um, because that's part of the long-term plan. And we'll get to that when, with some of these teams. Yeah. So, well, that's what I was kind of, I wanted to kind of get into with you a little bit, what you think some teams are doing well, what maybe you think they oh, need yeah. to improve on and who, who, like who's kind of standing out right now, but there's a couple kind of glaring ones when you're looking at how well their academies are doing. And that's the teams that don't have one at all. Um, so Seattle, um, LA, Dallas, they're all kind of new, but um, like who, like what do those teams have to do in order to actually start an academy now? Um, I mean, the, the, the first, the first initiative I think that's easy to do is to sponsor the, the local youth competition, right? Literally plow dollars into um, rugby, Texas and uh, rugby, Washington, uh, 
so that those state rugby organizations have money and then, you know, start one of the things that I think San Diego did is from a marketing perspective, um, summer of 18 is they were at every single San Diego event. Every single, like, didn't matter what the event was. Like, it was a, a Dunkin' Donuts opening. They had a book. It was <laughs> every, just sitting in the corner, just like, yeah, throwing down all the donuts. I'm not, I'm not joking. Like, they were at, they had a booth, and Dunkin' Donuts obviously is a sponsor of um, San Diego Legion, but they were like, they were at air shows, they were at flea markets. It didn't, like, they're just their brand and some players. Um, you know, you, you've got a tent and you've got some, you know, some locks. I mean, CC, CLC Mahoney was there and you, you just got these big strapping dudes in a town that doesn't have a football team anymore. Um, yeah. You know, just out. And I think they've done very well to just get their brand out. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, every team has their own, every team has their own circumstances that they have to fight through. Um, I think that uh, with this incentive program, um, not to penalize Seattle at all, but there is like no sports going on at all in Washington right now. It is like impossible to do anything for grassroots. Uh, I don't know when grassroots sports are going to come back in the state of Washington, which is weird because if you go to Oregon, and you go to Idaho, grassroots sport has picked up. In fact, rugby has been back in Idaho since August. So, so wouldn't it make sense to then reach out to those neighboring, you know, rugby programs and say, hey, we are a pro team in your area. Yeah. Let's, let's do something. Sort of, like that's kind of what the Free Jacks have right now, um, which I oh, guess yeah. we can get into that. It's well, like they're not like you know just locked into like boston massachusetts or yeah like they have the 13 teams across all of i guess oh yeah that, that we'll get into that program in a bit too so what i mean the first thing is to infuse capital into your local rugby competition um i know if you we, like if you look at the guild gronies under previous ownership they had a u18 squad they had a u23 squad the first summer um in 2018 and then they've had some ownership changes and I know they have plans, but I just think everything getting shut down really sort of stopped a lot of those plans. For and sure. it would be really hard to harsh to judge any team um, that hasn't had an academy yet um, based on current restrictions. Now we so, can get into some other teams that haven't been doing anything, even though they've kind of had an academy since um, day one. So I, I do have a question about the Seawolves and, you know, is part of their, you know, laissez-faire approach to their academy part of ha the fact that they have such a strong club like the Seattle Saracens nearby and it, it has been proven a fruitful relationship in their previous seasons that they that before this before this incentive came out they said well why do we need to start our own academy program where if we have local guys that we're interested in they can play for the Saracens and we can just watch them or go back to the Premier League in general because players have gone back to the Premier League I mean in BC Premier League Canadian players have returned and played yeah um I think so. I don't know. I think especially in year one, they, they had so many players come through what I think is still the best amateur competition in the country in, well, not the country, but 
the continent, the continent of North America, the continent of North America. I know what you're getting that. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the CDI Canadian, I don't know what the D, what D stands for insurance, um, no longer called CDI premier league, but, um, the BC Premier League, uh, we had players from other teams like Mason Pedersen from Austin um, was playing, I think, for the rowing club a couple years, like two years ago. Um, so, it, yeah, I, I think that in general, they didn't need it. Whereas as we go forward, every team needs to have an academy and not necessarily on the senior side. I think the senior side is is helpful. Um, because it is, because you just, you'll find a player that is a high level athlete that stopped, that didn't get drafted from whatever sport he's in, who just picked up rugby and is under, who's 23, 24, 25. And you're like, dang, he's fast. Dang, he can tackle. Dang, he's a big human being. I'm going to make him a lock because guess what? And down here, locks do not grow on trees. There are like the amount of six five or six four and above locks in U.S. college rugby. And count them one hand. <laughs> Why don't we we get into like what a couple of these academy teams are doing? Um, so since we already kind of brought it up, why don't we uh, start with the Free Jacks, who kind of made a uh, made quite the splash with their uh, massive little thirteen team regional training group program. Oh, it was a splash, all right. I was like, how the heck are they going to do 13 teams? And then I sat down with Tom Kinley and listened. And um, it's very focused. Like, so I would encourage anyone listening to me babble. Um, you could go listen to Tom and he can talk about it better. Is This is a 10-year plan. And that's what I think that every MLR team it is a well-developed 10-year plan. Um, as far as like what they aren't expecting an MLR player to come through their junior academy for 10 years. If they get one, they're going to be happy, you know, in the next five years. The, the reality is, is it's, if you, if you look at the content that the free Jacks have been putting out every time they go to an RTG, it's a lot of young kids. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this is, they, they are focused on getting players from, you know, for 2030, like that is the whole point of these 13 RTGs there. They want to get, I think a, a, for next summer, um, a, a North versus South team. And eventually they want to be able to support 13, um, basically select sides in new England, but that's not for next week or next year but it's a 10, they want to in 10 years have multiple age grade sections at each different regional training um, that feed into the junior Jacks program, which is U16 and U18. And then they have college as a part of their pathway. Like that is literally, it's a, if you look at the, the graphic, cause people are way better at graphics than me, it says college right there. Yeah. Now, with when saying that the like the free jacks aren't expecting to get like one of the players from their junior academies for like another 10 years, um, if they are able to get one at all, um, does that kind of go back a little bit to what we were kind of talking about earlier? How a big part of 
developing these academies isn't necessarily just about developing, you know, guys that can be star players for your team, but just fans in general. Yeah. I think if we, you know, every conversation I have that with that, it, that is with the high level thinkers, at each team, everyone knows that we can't sustain the game on rugby fans right now. All right. We're not going to be able to sustain the game in five years on rugby fans unless we make rugby fans. So the whole, and that's one of the things that the, the free Jacks are trying to do is for every kid that has a great experience. And I talk about this all the the time, every kid you have that you touch that a team basically touches metaphorically, they come with two parents usually. Right. Yeah. And well, and siblings. And that's what I like about, about the free jacks is they, they've in their social media, in their videos that they've been posting, they put an emphasis on showing uh, young, young women and young men. And I think, you know, having these training camps for both uh, women, uh, for girls and boys is great. Cause one, it's helping the U S Eagles women's program start to identify, you know, young, young people, again, they're, they're identifying young, young kids, but it's going to get those girls chances to be involved in rugby and get those skills. in, like, like Stu mentioned earlier, um, but also they're going to go home and tell their cousin or their brother. I had so much fun at this camp. Rugby's yeah. awesome. And, and maybe that maybe because they're a girl and, and uh, I know that uh, a lot of people have talked about how collegiate rugby for women has really grown. Maybe it'll get their cousins in or their brothers in. So I, I think that that's a really strong and smart strategy that the free jacks have taken. There was a, there were they, the video they put out from their, their Newport Rhode Island RTG which they're cleverly called uh, the mutineers. Um, had, there was like a five-year-old that sp- spoke better English than when I was in college. Um, <laughs> who really like, you know, talked about how much he loved rugby, which I was like, fan for life, done, yeah. done. And if you can do that, you know, and re- if you can replicate that a hundred kids every year, like, geez, You'll be fine. But that's really what I, I think the biggest focus on the youth side of the academy is just growing your fan base. Um, because if parents, uh, at the end of the day, rugby has a bad rap, I think. Um, oh, for sure. In the U.S., um, rugby folk have tried to market the game as safer than football. And I can tell you that rugby is basically as safe as football, not safer maybe sometimes less safe, but catastrophic injury rates, ACLs, concussions, all that stuff. We're at, the, we're the insurance says that we're at the same, but we are different. That's what I, what I, what I would like to emphasize is like the game is great. Just the game itself sells the game. And when you can get the youth, if you, if every team had 500 kids in their youth program, where you keep the costs minimal, like real minimal, like under $200 a year, right? And you give all these kids great coaching and they get a great experience and you have 500 kids, right? And you talk, and you said maybe they have a sibling, maybe they have a cousin, but if you get 500 kids in your youth program, most of them are going to have two parents. Maybe some of them have a, a sister or brother. So you could have conceivably... 1200 to 1500 extra fans a year because they participated in your youth program. 
Yeah, in the State of the League video, George Killebrew did mention that their focus was going to be on children and said that of uh, 5,000 tickets every rugby weekend, um, the first people that should be buying them are kids. Now, obviously, what he means by that is the parents are buying them, but then obviously (laughs) the parents have to go as well. And I think it's a very clever strategy there um someone pointed out to me and this was showing my age the other time that all the um english only 22 man yeah sure that's that's what my fake id says Um, (laughs) um but all the kids that were on the cusp of becoming teenagers when in england when england won the world cup are now approaching 30 so the kids that were about to be 13 are now approaching 30 and you know you can say they made the world cup final last year and that's great progress but we all know there's At like a difference. what 3 a.m in the 3 a.m like, <laughs> well 3 a.m for us but it was about 8 a.m in the uk i was, I was on coffee and it was awful it was awful if you were an english fan in uh toronto when they were watching the game um but <laughs> But I think as well as that, the point that uh, they were making is that, um, so in the UK, the World Cup is shown on um, free t- uh, the BBC or ITV, yeah. as well as the Six Nations. But the domestic um, leagues like the Pro 14 or the Premiership, Premiership are all on either Sky Sports or BT, which are subscription services. Well, we'll tell ITV or the BBC to pay to compete and pay for the game. I mean, yeah, you, well, if you pay that TV license, right? Yes, so then uh, they should take your TV correct. license money and pay for some sports rights instead of spending it on Love Island. Whoa, hey. Love Island I, is great. It I, is I, I great. Say, I was going to say, yeah, yeah. This, I've actually never watched an episode of Love Island in my life. What? What are you Okay, Dan. Okay. Right. Before before we go off on a tangent, the point I don't want to go into the politics of TV rights and licensing, right. but I'll just say the same thing as well, like people, why you- people say the same crap about MLR, and I was like, having been around and worked for the league for three years, I understand the rights thing now, and it yeah. is not to not to really go after like the Premiership or anyone. I would say that just getting into the room, getting in through the door to where, not where they pay you rights, but where they just pay for production, you know? So it doesn't cost you anything to be on TV is is a whole different ballpark. Yeah. But the, so the point I'm making is that the kids that were watching the 2003 World Cup final, that was one of the few times of a year, especially if your family doesn't make in, uh, doesn't make enough money or doesn't want to, doesn't have the luxury of buying a subscription service because these aren't cheap in the UK if you're with the wrong um, uh, internet service provider or broadband provider. They can add up really quickly. Um, but their point was saying that they were they had been so focused on the 2003 victory that they weren't focusing on the kids that have watched the 2007 final or the 2011 quarterfinals or the 2015 let's not talk about it that world cup never happened or and now they're getting to 2019 and all their supporters yeah all the supporters that saw the 2003 final 
um, if they've remained on the free access rugby, have only seen like the Six Nations, but um, you know they only know the English players that make that made the final. They don't know um, the young guys that are coming are the up and comers and. You know the premier. The Premiership obviously does have like feeder well, teams. Well, I mean, and, if like, the RFU if if the RFU quit talking about um its chairperson Jason Leonard for the past twenty years, <laughs> um, maybe uh, maybe people would know who the new players are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But so the Unbuses. point I'm trying to make is that I think MLR have done a have a very good long-term investment if they spend the money and invest in the kids and in like young players. Now, obviously not every kid that comes along to the under 11s uh, rugby camp is going to progress all the way to uh, MLR or any, even the collegiate leagues, but to, but like you said, to keep those kids interested and become fans and will then as you said, make them fans for life. And then they'll be able to tell their friends and they'll say like, Oh, we had this great, uh, summer yeah. camp, but I preferred, you know, it's, I'm going to use the Ontario, um, option here. It's like, Oh, I prefer ice hockey, but you know, is that if I want to play a grass, a game on grass, I'll play rugby. And you know, if ice hockey never picks up, yeah, maybe I'll do rugby. Maybe I'll learn like how to tackle rugby tackle on the ice. I don't know if that's legal, but you know, I'm on the Brit, so I can't be entirely said. I mean, if, if you're an enforcer, that's all you do. I was just saying, yes. the, only, yeah. the only thing wrong with what you did there, Stu, was you called it ice hockey, which is unacceptable in this nation. But I, I am I am proving just how British I am. Yeah, that I have to make not, the designation of which hockey I'm talking so, about. So I would say that in the U.S., um, only <laughs> this might get me shot. Um, only women play grass hockey, which we called field hockey. Um, I would say the men that play grass hockey are very Irish and members of the GAA. Yeah. That's it. Um, but so to ultimately go back to my um, point is that the investment, I think that focusing on getting children in the st- in the seats in the crowd will pay dividends. And I think that, yeah, like you said, not every team has a um, youth league set up, but that may be due to COVID at the moment that, or in their states that they're not allowed to. But as soon as they can get on this, then I think that MLR will be set for the next 10 years at least. Right. Yeah. Now, begin your debate on Love Island. Go okay. ahead. Okay. But that, so you talked about TV and like pay TV. And I think culturally, there is this weird angst and in the UK about paying sort of TV because there's like weird subscriptions. Whereas generally in the U S we have cable or satellite or like people also have cable, but they have it like when Congress deregulated set top boxes, because now you have Roku's and Apple TVs that can then go, you can subscribe to a cloud service that then gives you the same cable package. That's cheaper, you know, um, the moment I would say, like one of the reasons why subscriptions, and this is a real tangent, dropped for like DirecTV or your local cable provider is because Congress deregulated set dot boxes. Like that's it. Like that's what yeah. changed subscriptions for ESPN and whatnot. But as far as TV is concerned, if you if you look at MLR and people complained about ESPN Plus, if you live in the, if you were in an MLR market, 
almost every MLR market had um, their games on free linear television, not on cable. Like, so the home team was always on free TV, which is yeah, what you need. Insane. Um, the fact, so like MLR, as far as just a rugby entity in the United States that has gotten rugby on television has made the sport way more accessible than like everyone talks about the Eagles need to be on free TV. And like people, has anyone played club rugby? Like I would say having played club rugby, having been one of the 30,000 adults that play club rugby, I would say under 10 per under 20% of those that play club rugby know what the Eagles are. That's the problem. Yeah. So is that, is that like, I guess that's kind of what this is though. Cause that's also, if you're saying that like under 20% of the people in the country that actually play rugby know what the Eagles are to me from that statement, that sounds like a bit of a marketing issue. Oh, it is. I mean, it is purely a marketing issue and, but it's also a cultural issue, like connecting the, the grassroots to the provincial system, which we got rid of for whatever reason. We had a provincial system and then connecting that to the Eagles. I would say there were probably more Eagles fans in the U S in the eighties than there are now. Right. That's weird. Right. Makes no sense. Um, But um, I would say that MLR has done a great job of making the sport accessible because for me, I mean, even if I wasn't getting some type of money to do some type of work with the league, um, I mean, you watch a bunch of games on ESPN Plus, you watch a bunch of games on the CBS Sports Network. Um, before, before 2017, um, I had to pay for like a $300 package to get any kind of rugby on DirecTV. That was like, and the Curry Cup would be on at weird times. And the even though the thing said Aviva Premiership, the games would never be on. Yeah, so yeah, we've we've had that issue up here too. Yeah, the zone yeah. has the rights to the Pro Fourteen, and so, we'll show one game a weekend. So we we we've talked about the Free Jacks, and I think we'll talk about some of the other teams. I think, you know, for the most part, um, you know, the Arrows uh, had a a U twenty three Academy sort of launch and a U twenty Academy sort of launch that was. Uh, I would say they were more relaunches when I think about them. Cause I, I could have sworn you guys had a U 20 Academy um, in, in like season, like right after season one, you guys had, yeah, we, some, had we had yeah. in the senior Academy that was running pre COVID, but then it kind of just once COVID started, like there was a, there were, there were rosters for the West and the East named and they ran their own camps and that was all happening prior to the start of season two and a little bit at the start of the season. And then, COVID hit and then they they, they stopped. Yeah, they had like I don't know the full details of it, but there was a schedule of some sort that they were actually going to play, oh. and then the world shut down, so they didn't yeah. play that schedule. Yeah, so um, I, I, but they did have the plans. To- when it when it comes to like the the Arrows Academy, I, I think you like I mentioned earlier in the podcast is uh, with with uh, if you look at Mark Winnicott's work when he was the GM of the Ontario Blues, and you dig into that system with the Junior Blues, and you know having a full on partnership. Um, with Rugby Ontario and the Toronto Arrows, which previously there wasn't a full-on partnership. There was just a a supporting relationship. 
you know, now we have a contractual relationship yeah. um, going on. I think that's very important and it will extend resources into the, the Ontario grassroots game. Um, I think depending on who it's been, uh, teams have been very supportive and and local rugby unions have been very supportive of the teams. Um, not every, it hasn't been kosher all the way because, you know, just the amateur ethos, I would say, is kind of pervasive in some parts of the country. And I wouldn't say the amateur ethos is necessarily good for when you're trying to make a commercial product, if that makes any sense. Um, But I think Toronto has been really good. Um, The Austin's kind of, it's kind of reset with the new ownership. Um, mentioned that. I know you on, on Dallas, you put NA, but if you've been looking at their, their social feed, they've been, they've been signing development players. So they haven't, they haven't they, they fielded a, the process, but they haven't made, they, they haven't fielded a team. But I think like last year we sort of saw practice squads with some of the teams. So some of the teams I think, and I think Seattle had a practice squad last year too. So there is some process going on with a develop, senior development academy with every single team other than Los Angeles because they haven't announced a single player. But I think there will be a, a process there um, given their ownership and who they brought in to coach the team as well. So, um, Aaron, I have a question about one team, and it's San Diego, because, you know, they had a, a partnership with a local college. They it's, It still exists. It still exists. So, so, so that, that's been one of my questions because, you know, they, they had they had a game, a couple of games in 2019. Yeah. Uh, and then they they were kind of silent for a little bit, and then COVID hit. Um, and then very recently, they were named a verified development program with the USA Rugby. So, my question is, you know, like like you kind of just answered a little bit of my question that that their that partnership is still alive, which is good news. But have they made any plans to kind of? Did, I mean, the way uh, I'm not going to speak for Zach Test, who is the co-head coach and academy director for San Diego Legions, because I haven't really talked to him about it. But if you the two USA Rugby certified pathways of MLR teams were San Diego and New England. And New England shows you a very flushed out program. Um, San Diego has had an academy structure um, kind of since the beginning. I don't, I haven't known what that looks like. I know they've done some stuff. Um, One of the cool things that they've done is push a lot of their players to be coaches um, with various high school teams. I think um, last year, uh, not this year, but in 2019, it's everything's so like, like goes into the brain and out the other. And I don't know where, I don't know where we are. Um, they had 11 players coaching high school teams in, um, in 2019. So they have a process, I think um, coaching change and COVID like I think COVID really sort of put a wreck on a lot of things, but they have an Academy, um, especially on the, like the senior side that is more, um, more tight knit. It's not a big time squad. It's like, I want to say like 10 guys they've identified that have played some uh, that are like attending school in Miracosta college, which is a junior college, but um, they're doing stuff. I can't say what stuff they're doing because I don't know, but they, right. they have done some stuff um, to say, 
uh, the least. So, yeah. And they've had an academy director since the beginning, if that makes sense. Yeah. I just kind of wanted to sort of follow up on one thing that you said there. So you said that San Diego had a handful of players coaching various high school clubs across the, uh, the region. Um, up here, like the Arrows kind of have, are doing a little bit of a similar thing where they have like Andrew Ferguson's been helping out to coach the Crusaders. Um, Tommy Della Vega is now one of the coaches for the U16 Nomads. Um, is that, is having players go out to either schools or clubs, is that something that a lot of teams are doing or trying to do? Something that I know that San Diego has tried to do since the beginning, because it's a, it's a, you're connecting your community with your team, right? So if you have all these high school kids seeing this MLR player coach them, they're going to say, Hey, it goes back to what I said originally that for every kid you have, you have two parents. Mm-hmm. It, like, so you have that connection, like direct connection with the community so that there is motivation from high school players to lower end youth players to, to want to go to games. Um, if you, they're not the only teams doing this. Um, if you look at new Orleans, this is a little bit different. Um, but um, Holden Youngert and there's a prop whose name Matt Harmon um, are coaching a division three men's club team. So, and they have a few other players that um, coach youth teams in the area. And I know that like we talk about caps and whatnot. um, I know that people are getting paid wages to coach teams. Right. Because, you know, if you're, if you're putting in real work, you should uh, get paid to, to do that. And some of that has been through support uh, through support of the various foundations that have been established. San Diego um, Legion established the, the Legion Foundation. NOLA Gold has a the NOLA Gold Foundation. So, you know, one of the big things um, that NFL team made the big four, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, sports in the U.S. and Canada have found like nonprofit foundations that support youth sport um, and various other grassroots um, community issues, um, you know, in, in, in both countries. And that is, I think, going to be very important for um, MLR teams going forward is their nonprofit arms. Well, gentlemen, did we have any more questions before we move on from uh, the Academy programs? Let me try a couple more things with Aaron. No, I think, uh, I don't know. Like, is there anything we've talked about a little bit about a handful of these academies and stuff. Is there anything that another team is doing that you want to highlight before uh, as like a positive before we move on? I think so. If you look at old glory and you look at um, rugby ATL and you look at um, the uh, new England, and New York, they all have a senior like development team that, but some of them, because of the various laws right now, haven't been able to u- utilize their senior development team. Um, the, um, I forget what they are, what they are called, but um, for New England, they have the, the independence, which is a select side of club players. So that's your senior development squad. But because of what's going on with certain COVID restrictions, depending on the state you're in, youth sports can play, but senior sports can't. Mm-hmm. 
So they haven't been able to, to like form teams to play. And then the same thing with New York and the same thing with DC, because DC has the old glory selects, which are sponsored by um, old, old, they are the capital select sponsored by old glory and they sponsor both the men's and women's capital rugby union selects. So there were partnerships that already existed on the senior development side that just for, for Corona um, haven't been able to for sure operate. I mean, like uh, Rooney there, which I love their academies, the young roosters, yeah, it's, it's their their kind of their high school. And, and you see, so that that goes like so. You had I think they're the Empire Rugby Union Barbarians or something like that, and was their senior development team, which yeah. feeds off of clubs, but they haven't been able to do senior sport there. So they've been all over the region in places where you can where you can where you can do youth sport in the same way that they just didn't give do they didn't present a design like new england did but they've basically been doing the same thing for sure and like yeah the the young roosters were played on playing conics u17 on their their home opener which never ended up happening you know against the seawolves so it's a real kicker that uh some of these teams really lost out on these really cool opportunities I still say, though, the best uh, – you're saying the Young Roosters is a cool name. I still say the best name of the Academy programs is the Night Watch, just for the Game of Thrones reference coming out of uh, New England. There. Oh, um, the Young Roosters, that's fun. No, like, no. All I have to say is – coming out we got the Fighting Geese, then that will take the crown. <laughs> The fighting geese. The fighting. Think about it. Think about it. In, instead of getting like caps, like you know, like teams, like like national teams get the caps. It could be like, like the like the rooster hat, like the rooster head. I'd be about that. Why not? Just, just that'd be it, amazing. And you wouldn't have to spend money on specialized caps. You could just go to the costume store yeah. for Halloween <laughs> and just be like, um, yeah, the, get them discounted now because this is the best time to get them. Yeah. <laughs> The Night Watch, though, you can just dress up as like Jon Snow and stuff, though. That, like that, that would be way cooler. Like, like the old grown. Yeah, but like now the kids cool are gonna understand it. Stuff. Like, how how many years since it, has it been since the last Game of Thrones episode? You, you didn't let your daughter watch Game of Thrones. You're a terrible parent. When did when did a Game of Thrones? My so, I remember, too. so why are we talking? Not, why are we talking about? Yet. Why are we talking about Game of Thrones? So, you, so there was an episode of <laughs> Full of Dirt. Where Liam, Craig, and I, we talked about Game of Thrones for like 20 minutes and we yeah. got a review that we got tweeted at saying, I'm never listening again if you talk about Game of Thrones again. So the next episode, we're like, oh. let's talk about Game of Thrones. Let's talk about all the Game of Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, why do you tell somebody to not do something? I'm going to unfollow you. Of course, I'm going to do it the next time you give me the opportunity. The world's most watched show ever. Yeah. And you're what? <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. All right. Well, Aaron, you know what? Before we got on, you, you had some thoughts on the World Ten series, which wrapped up on Saturday. Um Can- with Canadian S- MVP, by the way. Kyle Bailey, Bailey taking the MVP Bailey. honors. Um, you know, the SX10 uh South African team that barely played ended up winning it all in a strange roundabout way. Um, but what were your thoughts about this, this tournament, Aaron? Do you think it's, I was very impressed from an operational standpoint, um, specifically, um, the first round of rugby was really bad. To be honest, (laughs) I was, I was very unimpressed, um, by 
the first round of rugby. I thought that there were, there's a team that made it to the semifinals that thought, I think they were going to walk through um, the whole thing. And then they had to figure then after the first round, they had to figure out they had to play. Um, you can figure out which team it was and they ended up doing pretty well in knockouts. Right. Um, but um, this, the second round, I thought the rugby improved, but there's a lot of gimmicks that I'm not into um, the interesting. And I think for the MLR, the contracted MLR players, it was high risk, high reward. You had four um basically season ending injuries. Um, I think Nick Feast tore his ACL. Um, so he, well, it's November and the season starts in March. He won't be playing. Um, Aaron Matthews uh, broke his arm. Um, he was, you know, drafted in the first round by Seattle. It's just uh, the rugby in the knockouts was pretty good. I'll be honest. Yeah. And then and we what? got to, and then we got to the gimmicks, like, the exit is it as a the, phoenix phoenix like coaches i'm not no <laughs> coaches d- don't get to be a part of the team and kick and and that's how they won the game yeah i didn't like that but, I, uh, so i have a question for you then again you kind of touched on a little bit and it's been a discussion and we bring it around to hockey every now and then but it's always been a discussion about uh, NHL contracted players going and playing in double IHF uh, tournaments, you know, the high risk of why would I send my best players to go play for Canada at the world championships every year, if they're just going to get hurt. Um, now, do you think that well, national some- team, national team duty is much different than a, um, a private organization. <laughs> the world to- hockey championships has this weird. Well, I was so, say, uh, Den, if I it think, was the I Olympics, think- I would, I would agree with you. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you, I think this uh, would more be like if like John Tavares went and played in the KHL for fun. In- so I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a parallel, right. Um, to what this was the AAF. And part of the reason why they say they they folded was that because they weren't able to get access to practice squad players. And they also wanted access to members of the NFLPA that were uncontracted. There were free agents to play okay. in the AAF. So in the CBA, members of the NFLPA cannot play football for another league period right i would know because i've nego- i actually negotiated the nfl cba in my lock in in law school not for the actual <laughs> cba but i had to digest 450 pages and rewrite portions of the cba um so bad bad comparison aside my my my, my real question is can you see a future with MLR where where contracts and, and, and budgets are so tight as they are? Can you imagine a future boot that works between the World Tens and MLR? Because it is a good chance for these players to make a little extra money and continuously play rugby, but is it worth it? I don't think it is. Um, I mean, if you're lucky enough not to get injured, and those there was four catastrophic injuries, but there was way more MLR contracted players that got banged up like pretty harshly playing rugby because that's what happens. I think that it's a, a real, I mean, supposedly they're going to have 10 events next year 
And in that respect, there will be no likely be no MLR players um, playing more than one event, if at all. If it's the World Tens basically replaced the World Club Tens as an event, which was basically um, where where professional clubs sent ten, a, a roster of tens players. Some Wuching played um, for the Harlequins at World Club Tens um, in Mart. It was in Martinique, so you're going to some other. It's always in some tropical location, which was replicated by being in Barbados or no Bermuda, 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 Bermuda um, which was beautiful country, man. If you followed like all the MLR players on social media, it's like, I want to go cave swimming too, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, but it's, I think it's a high risk, high reward. I think um, there will be some players that get asked and some teams that will release them. I know that some teams um, had the Kumbaya with their players or where they were like, we're going to release you, but this is what, what the conditions are. And the reality is, is that players that were released were no longer covered by their MLR insurance because they were enjoined from playing in another competition. Um, so they were like, Hey, you can go play, but we're not going to cover any medical expenses if you get hurt. And if you didn't get hurt, you got to go spend, a month in Bermuda and you made like four grand. Which is not awful. Um, and that, that's, that's being very binary about it. And I know they're like every player's situation is different. And some of these players that went, you know, some of them can't do other work because they're foreign players and they got stuck here. You know, and so I'm not going to begrudge any player from going to play World Tens. I just think if if they play more than one event next year in Tens, they're just you're not going to see MLR players released for you know one to two event series. You can see MLR players released. Do you, do you think? Uh, but I think it's more of a scouting opportunity. Yeah, to go check out some of the but, but maybe that would be a thing. Like if MLR players didn't go next year, there'd be more guys that MLR can scout at that tournament. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, theory. I think there there were players that there were American players that appeared for teams that aren't contracted by MLR teams that I thought performed very well. If you looked at uh, the Rhinos rugby team, which had Mikey Teo, Connor Kindrigan, I think, and like. Aaron Matthews, like Aaron Matthews, but most of those players were not contracted MLR players. Some of them were college players and they played very well. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they, I would say they embarrassed Ohio in round one. Like they, they, that was a team that I think was under talented, but that came in wanting to play from day one. And they, they, they did pretty well in the tournament. So I think it's a scouting opportunity more than it is an opportunity for MLR players. And this is going to be a long-ass podcast. Sorry. I am very excited. <laughs> All of our podcasts are long, whatever. Um, yeah. So I, I, if it's like a one-event thing, a one-off event every year, I could see MLR players playing every year. But if it is a... If it is a series, I don't see it. What I what would be interesting to see, though, is if, like, everyone talks about MLR needing a seven, sevens thing. Well, what about an MLR tens event? 
Yeah. Well, see, like, you know? what I always kind of thought is, uh, like, would that, would something like a sevens tournament, like, would, could that not, say, work better as, like, maybe even, like, an all-star game kind of format? Like, instead of maybe necessarily having 13 sevens teams all go somewhere like a tournament like the nfl for like the before the super bowl like they play or they used to i guess they have like the pro they used to have the pro bowl the week before the super bowl i think now it's after but like yeah is that sort of like maybe a situation then instead of doing like say if that ever were to happen if they wanted to go like the all-star route you instead of doing like an east first west thing you can do like sort of i guess like what the nhl does certain people don't want all-stars but i can tell you that all-stars has always been in the plan um, yeah. What it looks I, like, I don't know. The, the, I like the idea of it being, you it know, money, uh, it, the weekend of of the MLR final. You have, yeah, like like four teams, you know, two west, two east, and they do like a quick little round robin, you know, kind of just exhibition for fun game. And I think that'd be a lot of fun to have, you know, play during you know the day of right before the the final game. I think it would be a really cool idea. Yeah. Um, cause rugby is officially an open game, right? There's no separation between amateurs and professionals. Like you base, like you legitimately have in the United States. Like there's in, in every sport in the U S there's either amateurs or professionals. In fact, if you look at golf, like golf is insane when it comes to their amateur rules. Like you can't, um, if you play in a golf tournament, um, that has a prize purse. The prize purse itself cannot, like the first place check cannot exceed $500. Like just playing in the tournament, the, the check cannot exceed $500, right? Um, the trophies that you get awarded um, other than like the U.S. Amateur and the NCAA finals um, cannot be worth over $500. Like golf is really insane. Tennis is really insane too. Um, for the most part, you do have semi-pro football where guys are getting paid on weekends, but also no one goes to those games. So the fact that, and I know club players get paid in the United States, but no one goes to those games either. So I don't, and this is, and, and Stu, you know this, and I talk to Joe Harvey, the vener, venerable journalist all the time about how clubs should not be playing, paying players below the authorized level of level five. Yeah. Um, and the author, and the, that's another tangent to talk about, about the organization of um, English rugby and why paying players is a horrible idea. Um, you have international players from like, um, Fiji and like Samoa, like playing in community rugby, making like a hundred grand is hilarious, but it's also bad for the game and unsustainable. So no, it's, um, it's an issue that's plagued French rugby for um, the past decade. I say, especially um, it's seems to be changing now with the national team, but I, I, yeah, I agree where you're coming from. Perfectly. Yeah, so like it's it's just you know it's just crazy to see like what people do um when it's but so because and that, that gets to my point about sevens and rugby being an open game is that since the beginning basically there have been mlr seven teams playing in club sevens um in the u.s so we um uh what what was the washington athletic club in 2019 won um u.s club sevens and the washington athletic club was basically just the seattle seawolves yeah 
So just 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 yeah. put it out there. It's like, and there were four different MLR teams, like Nola Gold, straight up Nola Gold Sevens. We're yeah, playing the Free in, Jacks had the Ramblin Harlequins or Ramblin. So they they have a partnership with Ramblin Jesters, which is actually sort of a high performance professional sevens outfit that plays in the UK super sevens as well. And so that's a, that is a straight up professional summer seven circuit in England. And apparently no one knows about it, Stu. So, I mean, yeah, apparently I'm the only one that knows about super sevens in, in, in the UK. I will say that the premiership usually this year being the exception and world cup years will run a summer sevens with um, premiership teams putting sevens together and that runs that used to run on like consecutive Fridays or Saturdays and then a few years ago changed to um, it was like all two on weekends weekend. it was like two weekends and then the next one was like one weekend yeah so the current format or the latest format uh, to be more accurate um, was the sim- similar format to say like the world sevens tournament said that yeah. all the pool games would be on the Saturday and then the playoffs and rankings would be on the Sunday. Um, now, obviously I think it'd be a bit, if MLR was to do a sevens competition, maybe it could be more regional. So um, maybe, uh, but what the premiership used to do would be have four teams of like geographical um, closeness. So when they included the Welsh teams, it was all the Welsh teams would take part. Um, and then for London, it would be all like the London team. So um, Harlequin, Saracens, and then uh, they included Wasps, um, even though they were no longer London Wasps. And when London Irish were in the premiership, London Irish as well. And then, so maybe something similar. So like geographical just, regions would be I just find point. it interesting and yeah, geographical regions say like if we had 16 teams, you do um, at the same time uh, what would be a a regional tournament, four teams, yeah. round robin, and then like qualify for a finals event, um, you know, round robin um, on a Saturday. Um, you play three games and then um, you play knockouts, obviously semifinals and then finals um, the next day. But it, it's just interesting to see, hear what fans want. And I, yeah. and not to say that I've stopped listening to what fans want because I listen to what fans want every day. It's just interesting to me that one of the first things that fans wanted was a MLR sevens tournament. I was like, there's a lot of things that I want MLR to do. And I just kind of sort of work here. Not like <laughs> I'm not a, I'm not a decision maker. I work in marketing and media and I, I report to people. People don't really report to me unless their name's Derek. Um, and he doesn't get paid. So <laughs> he, does, he, he works, he, he helps me out. Um, that Derek, really that Derek guy needs a better agent. I hear <laughs> I can say that possibly one of the main reasons is because now we have sevens at the Olympics. Yeah. Is that if there is a case of like, oh, say every summer or summer sports period, you can say that, oh, the MLR sevens. So, and then this goes back to, you know, getting kids interested in it so that when the Olympics comes around, yeah, I'm not going to say that those that are playing in the MLR sevens will also be playing for the Olympics, but they know the rules. They know it's a different format. They know it. And, you know, just getting that continuity 
Would, I, I uh, think with oh, there sorry. was um, the last um, club USA Club Sevens with there were five MOR ish teams sort of associate or teams that had a bunch of MLR players on them. I would say it would be nice if all 13 teams participated in the club seven sort of championship and, um, you know, did like, you could probably do this with regional qualifiers. You would have um, your MLR bracket that was at the same tournament. Or, or or host the tournament. Yeah. Host that host that tournament, that qualifying tournament for Club Sevens. You have your MLR bracket, and then, um, you know you you will also play your finals at Club Sevens as well. That is separate from the rest of the amateur clubs. That so you tie in with the grassroots and stuff. I I don't know. There's there's tons of things you can do. I would say NOLA, um, Seattle. They they were basically using um, sevens as sort of an academy pathway very early on. Um, people were like, why is Nick Feeks playing for New Orleans RFC in in sevens? Is he going to play for the NOLA Gold? And then I was like, hello, hey. Mr. Fitzgerald, is is Nick Feeks playing for you next year? And he was like, "Shh, don't tell anyone." And uh, and then you know they announced Nick Feeks, and yeah. you know it was just I don't know. It's just interesting for me to hear what fans want, and it's different to what I think will actually um, create more fans. If that makes sense, I think I think academy and grassroots development programs are going to create a lot of fans now. It's a 20, it's a 10, 20 year project. And that's what I, I, we all saw that guardian article, I'm sure. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, I just didn't get that vibe from the, the, the person that provided um, Martin Pengeli, the majority of his source material for that. And the reality was, is like, I look at rugby just like the MLS in some ways and that this is to get a sustainable league is going to take 10 to 15 years because it's a niche within a niche. So I ha- I'll just kind of go off with one more question to kind of bring the whole conversation together. And then so, we're, so that it's at least circular. Right? Yeah, exactly. So, it's <laughs> so we, we spent the majority of this talking about the Academy programs. And then in our discussion about the 10 series, we kind of dove in you and Stu kind of went back and forth on this, the idea of having like a club sevens competition. You did say it's a 10 to 20 year thing. So I'm just saying, if the idea is that part of that incentive program is to have developmental MLR teams playing against each other, and there maybe is this fan desire for a little bit of an extra MLR competition, whether it be sevens or tens or some other format, is there any chance that, say, in that 10, 20 years down the road, we could get something along the lines of, like, say, minor league rugby where it'll be a constant competition of all the developmental teams playing against each other. So this isn't uh, like bash club rugby at all. And this, like, as GMs have stated, there is a step up from college rugby mm-hmm. to MLR. There is, this, if you look at the top collegiate clubs in the country, I would put them against the top 
the national champion Life University versus the national club champion. And I would, I would take, no, Stu's going to love me for my phrasing because it's very British. <laughs> I would take the collegiate club to dispatch the men's club by three tries on the trot. Because that is the difference between the top end of collegiate rugby because the top end of collegiate rugby is a daily training environment where players are spending, you know, 15 to 20 hours a week honing their craft and they don't have to hold a job. Now they do have to hold down their GPA, but it's a little bit different than holding down a job, to be honest. Um, And yet there is still a dramatic jump from the top end of these draft picks, right? That they will have to make in March. Mm-hmm. So, so is there a need for another step then? And could, I think, and could you look at? I'm just calling it minor league rugby for yeah. lack of a better term. But yeah, like, yeah. is is there like like you said, long time, 10, 20, 30 years down the road, is like minor league rugby going to be something that might be needed, especially if we're de- building these developmental academies and maybe, maybe in so, 30 years. I, it's a long way down the road, but it's like, I, if we're talking I, about doing an MLS and out, things like that, I figure I, maybe. I don't, I don't know about like a full on flushed out minor league system, but I think if you look at the senior development teams, 10 years from now, they won't be guys volunteering their time, hoping to earn a contract. They will be guys that are contracted uh, to the team trying to earn first team call-ups and they will be in the best way to look at is the A-League in, um, in, in the UK um, where you have 23 players playing that some of them may get premiership time, but most of them are, or camp bodies. Camp bodies is NFL. Sorry. Most of these, like the guys who play in the A-League are, are really young or they're camp bodies. That's the reality. And they get paid to do that. They get they, they are professionals. Yep. Again, it's very similar to, to how like the AHL and the NHL are compared. You know, the AHL is full of guys that bump up and down throughout their career between the NHL and the AHL, and then young guys that that aren't quite ready to make an impact in NHL. So they leave them at the AHL to develop. And that's really what you see at the AHL level. And I think that's, that's where MLR. I I see the first, the first step to a a pace, basically minor league rugby is going to be, is going to be an A league type system. I think one of the things that we're struggling, that club rugby is struggling with now since the MLR has existed for three years and changes its place in the system. Um, because there's professional rugby and you have some teams that have been well-funded for a very long time that are, that are struggling with no longer being the destination for Eagles players. Um, and they, some of them want the ability to have MLR players playing on playing for them so that they can win trophies. So they want to move their club season, but why do you want MLR I think if you align the club season, the senior club season specifically with the MLR season, that gives you the ability to send MLR players down that weren't, that aren't on a match sheet um, to play with their clubs. 
um, if they came from clubs or they can join a new club for all, it doesn't, doesn't matter, but they, they can play with the clubs locally and create that attachment locally. And that way they get match time too. They still need to get 80 minutes in um, on a Saturday. And that allows you it. But if you don't have an A-league system, which I think there will be five years from now, because you're going to need it. But if you don't have a system where you can, if there is no club rugby being played during the MLR season for a local team and there is no a league, you're going to, you're going to need to create a competitive window for the back 23, the bottom 23 of your 46. If you have 46 players or the bottom 18 of your 40 man roster, you're, they are going to need to have competitive time. So I think the first thing I think you see is an A-League. And then if things are simple enough and stable, you could see something like how the MLS is organized, where they have USL teams that have partnerships and stuff like that. And same with same thing with Major League Baseball, having affiliates. and But that's... Uh, that's so far from now. Yeah, we're just trying. We're just trying to get stable. We're just trying to get games. We're trying to. We're, we just want to play. Hey, not even stable. We're just trying to play a game. On yeah, March let's 20th, play a damn man. game first before. <laughs> well, let's play a uh, game. <laughs> well, Eric, you know what? Well, I think that's uh, all the time we have. Um, but before we we let you go, uh, where can our listeners? You know. Where can we hear you? Where can we read your stuff? Where can uh, uh, you know uh, LaRouge rugby fans uh, get more of Aaron? Um, I am found on Twitter at the Strobro. Um, my Instagram is at the Strodog, but I mean it's mostly I think it's mostly like food and triathlon pictures. You won't really. I don't think you'll be entertained by me on Instagram. Um, but if you follow me on. Um, on Twitter, um, I'm pretty good about like my feed basically having every MLR signing that is officially announced on it. So if uh, I, d- I don't have to chase rumors anymore, which is kind of cool. Uh, like, I guess kind of part of the business um, that I, I guess I'm in is like chasing rumors just kind of sucks um, when it comes to player news, um, especially when I can actually call the person and be like, hey, dude, did you sign for this team? Or because I know, like talk to the GM pretty often. Did you sign this person? He's like, where did you hear that from? No, we did not talk to that person. <laughs> and then you find out that another team actually signed them. And we can talk about that after the show's up. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, so at the Strobro on Twitter, if you love um, Major League Rugby, um, I have usually all the, the latest signings um, on my Twitter feed. Um, it's mostly that or um, American football related uh, or I think when the someone someone first mentioned is like why is your twitter feed like all asu baseball so if it's if we have a college baseball season and you're wondering why there's just baseball uh on my twitter feed um for 50 tweets before there's an mlr tweet um i'm a season ticket holder at arizona state um which i actually graduated from from law school not a jd but i did go to law school at asu so um i guess um forks up you know (laughs) um but yeah, uh, at the Strober on Twitter, and uh, I guess I'm in every MLR fan group, so you can sort of tag me. And if you don't like my opinion, you can um, 
we can have a discussion, I guess. I try not to get into those discussions anymore either because just I we're all doing a lot of work trying to grow rugby in our own special way. So um, but uh, we're, oh, you know, which which was the huge topic um, a couple before the grassroots stuff is when D.C. chose a new venue. And I used to have opinions about venues. I don't anymore because I know the problems that teams like there are, I could, there's a perfect venue. If you wanted to put a team in Phoenix right now, perfect venue. Okay. We could go there. Um, But there are, there are cities that don't have perfect venues. Okay. So, um, then you have plenty of venues that support a rugby pitch. But how many ven- – and this is what I tried to say on Twitter. How many venues support the size of a rugby pitch and also support adult entertainment? And by adult entertainment, I mean adult beverages. And that- oh, okay. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Excuse me. I, I want to go to this rugby. When you said late night rugby, that's not what I had in mind. Uh, well, Vegas – uh, uh, different podcast, but Vegas Midnight Sevens. Um, uh, is this actual Sevens or is this a euphemism for something else? Oh, Ve- no, like, so the Las Vegas RFC used to have a host in Midnight Sevens tournament. And because clubs don't shut down, you go to the clubs after the tournament was over that night and obviously it's vegas so you can just imagine it and it probably was worse (laughs) but yeah i you know it's uh thanks for really thanks for having me on guys i just uh you know i whenever i run and i hear dan say some things i hear Stu say some things i'm like Derek, why did you let them talk um That's because you know what it's here's the thing is like Derek follows this kind of a cool, calm, even line, and I'm like, you know what? I need to I need to rattle him somehow. So I say something ridiculous to either get him fired up or for him to just ignore me. And sometimes it works really well, and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, I just I just think with you know you know giving clubs um, because we have the draft. The draft is a part of um, the draft is a part of being North American. Yeah. And I, I think that's it's what a lot of rugby fans don't understand. Um, because why would you have a draft? Well, how cool was the draft though? Oh, it was great. Like, I, it was, I enjoyed and, it. I, and if you ask every MLR player that was drafted, oh my gosh, like, yeah, like then they can, they, I, what was it? Um, Brian Nolt had 50 people at his house, Cole Zarconi had 50 people at his house. Um, you know, uh, first pick. Oh, oh how do I, this is too many names run through my head. <laughs> you know, Derek understands when we have to scout 240 players on a weekend, um, it's impossible. So Connor Mooneyham had his family at his house, had a bunch of people from his wife's, his soon-to-be wife. He wasn't married yet. He was married shortly after the draft, but soon-to-be wife's family over at his house. And that just, it was something people understood. Yeah, I think 
Yeah, I, I think there's a couple things that it's just like like we were talking about the All Star Game and stuff earlier, and I think like the like that's something that North American fans are just kind of used to, even though if you don't necessarily see it in rugby around the world, but like things like drafts and All Star Games are kind of common practice to uh, North American sports fans, and if you do them well, they can be very entertaining for like not just even diehard fans, but even casual fans if you're trying to get them into the sport. Yeah. So, and then for the, for the grassroots development incentives and homegrown player initiatives, I'm just like, look at the MLS and that is how it will really look. And it will be pretty seamless. If a player is a top would be a projected top end pick, but he has a good relationship with the the coaching staff and the GM from his home club, what would be his home club. He can go, directly to his home club and his home club, the only assets they will have invested in him are the money that they've spent on him while he was in the academy and they won't have to use an asset to get him so that they can keep him there. And if they, you know, have their discussions before the draft and they're like, you know what? Um, We've got three fly halves and we like them all. So your projected top five, you're going to get a chance to, go play a lot of rugby and you should enter the draft. You know, like that, I think that's how it's going to work. And you know what? It'll be interesting in the future. So Aaron, thank you very much, man, for, for joining us. Um, if you guys are interested in listening to or watching more of our podcast episodes, go to LaRue's Rugby on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Our links are all there. Um, uh, everyone enjoy your, your week. Um, I hope everyone takes the time, you know, in Canada, it's on Wednesday. We have Remembrance Day. Uh, talk to someone who, who's been part of, of the military service. You know, I have, uh, you know, strong roots with the military growing up in a military town. So everyone, please uh, take the time to really remember what uh, the lives and sacrifice were given for both our nations. And uh, we will see you and hear from you all soon.